And I guess this is the part where we say, welcome, listeners. Welcome, listeners. Are you also flailing your arms in the air excitedly? Yes. I did a little, like, uh, schwippity two, flippity do. Wow, official. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know what to say. I did, I did some hands. <laughs> I just look at unenthusiastic, like, woo. Like, and you wouldn't make a show where you're, like, trying to, like, you know, everyone's like, I'll oh, be excited. And you're like, yeah, I'm not really excited, but I'll wave my hands because you're telling me to to my boss. But, like, I'm, again, alone in a basement. No one sees this. Why am I doing it, let alone telling you? Uh, just for the fanfare. There you go. <laughs> so, nothing at the top of the show to get into? Nope. Uh, I am actually going to say right away, I forgot about this character we're about to uh, talk about it completely. Really? And then upon getting to him and being incredibly excited by this character... I forgot how quickly we reveal their identity. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Maybe it's just because, for you, maybe it's just because the character isn't really a character. I mean, we'll get to it pretty quickly, so I'm not too worried about spoiling it. Uh, yeah, uh, people probably we'll dive in then yet. so we can get to it. Yeah, yeah, book one, episode 13, The Blue Spirit. Uh, Aang must travel to an herbalist to retrieve a cure for the ill Sokka and Katara. While returning to his friends, he is attacked and captured by the Yuyan archers sent after him by the newly promoted Admiral Zhao. A mysterious masked swordsman, the Blue Spirit, assists Aang in escaping his imprisonment. Yeah, no, uh, <coughs> I, I, I do not, I do not like Zhao. He is such a jerk. He is, and he's meant to be a jerk, and he's meant to be a coward, and he's meant to be just all the things that you love to hate about like sort of a not 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 the main villain but like a sub villain and and like i think zhao very, is very well made yeah, he's very as standard that. level villain yeah that's it he fits the bill yeah no i that moment was like the whole like the archers like super intense training and how skilled they are and how they could like what was it they could they could uh pin a fly to a wall without killing it yeah I'm kind of like, sad we don't see them. I don't think we see them again after this episode, because I think they no. would have been a cool uh, asset for the Fire Nation. I think they can get overpowered and overused. I think they were used really well here. We saw them do a few really cool things. We saw them be incredible when they're actually chasing Aang. That is, like, ridiculous. True. Um, also, I, I don't know if it was the archers, but there was a, there's another maneuver that the Fire Nation pulls that I thought was really interesting, but we'll get to that. Mm. Um. I do like after uh, the encounter where they approach Zuko and be like, hey, he's been promoted. Give us the info because now it's a national thing. He then stress firebends. Yeah, he has to, <laughs> he has to let out his energy. Um, yeah. But it comes from a very real place. Like, I think for the first time, you know, Zuko up until now had been very... Yeah, you know, we we haven't been successful in catching the Avatar yet, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it at the cost of everything else. Like, this is this is our number one. And then to hear him sort of talk to, to Iroh and be like, you know, what are the chances now? Now that Zhao is officially looking for the Avatar with the rest of the Fire Nation mm -hmm. forces, I, uh, I have no chance to, to regain what I need, what I so desperately seek. So a little stress, a little defeat, just a lot of frustration from him. Yeah, and again, it comes across well in the animation and the style, and the fact that it's very like aggressive firebending in the middle of like for no reason. He's not practicing. He's not 
sparring, he's just letting out, letting off steam. I mean, really? Yeah, <laughs> letting off steam. They're very specific. Um, yeah, but uh, again, it all makes sense. Uh, we then have our delirious Sokka and our getting delirious um, Katara with their illness. Yep. Which is always like, you know, it's a nice way to explain away the fact they weren't there, they weren't trying to rescue him. It's a nice little plot device. It is, exactly. And and it does work, you know, obviously Sokka was out in the storm in the previous episode, so now he's sick. So it sort of makes sense. And A little bit like, of continuity is nice. It's weird because, it, yeah, the continuity is great. It's weird, though, because I think even Aang was very secondary to this, to Zuko, well, to the Blue Spirit let's say, in this episode. I think this mm-hmm. whole episode really was to introduce the concept of the Blue Spirit. I'm just going to come out and say it. Obviously, we find out at the end of the episode that, that Zuko is the Blue Spirit. Um, so a few things with that is, one, I don't know why I felt like he was a more recurring character in the series. Like I felt like he came back a few more times. We never really figured it out yet. Like I don't um, know why I had that mental image in my head of like, oh, we see him like three or four times like throughout the first season or two. And then it's revealed to be Zuko later on. Yeah. I don't know uh, why I thought that. Also, um, besides the title of the episode, we never really get a name for him. No, exactly. Uh, I don't... Like, I knew that we meet the Blue Spirit and we find out that it's Zuko right away. Um, and he does... The Blue Spirit, like, Zuko does keep the mask for another few episodes. Yeah, he definitely, he definitely returns. I just always thought we yeah. like didn't know who it was at first. We only learned later on. I was surprised to learn so soon. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if like at the time of first watching, did I know right off the bat that it was Zuko who was the Blue Spirit? I don't think I did. No, I think the reveal was a surprise to me as well, honestly. Yeah, and it's interesting why... You know, I, I even wrote down the two questions in my notes. First of all, why does Zuko become the Blue Spirit to begin with? Well, it's very obvious. It's his way of sort of taking back the Avatar for himself. Even if he doesn't then capture the Avatar, he just sets him free so the Avatar can still be there to be caught. Mm-hmm. He'd, rather, he'd rather the Avatar be free than caught by somebody else. Exactly, because the Avatar represents Zuko's chance at regaining his honor, regaining his place in his family and Oh, yeah, we country. have that moment, I think it's right after the stress fire bending when Iroh approaches him. We have that, like, moment where he stares off into the, like, the, uh, the horizon and says, like, you know, like, if we lose the Avatar, I lose my chance of going home. Like, he's very, like, clearly emotionally impacted. It's one of the first times, if not the first time, that we see that side of Zuko where it's not stubborn confidence to the point of brashness or to the point of arrogance, it's actual worry, actual concern, actual yeah. he self-doubt. Doubts that he may ever achieve his goal at this point. Exactly. So it, it's interesting. And, and, and we do, I think through that moment, we do learn a little bit more about how, just how important and how big of a motivator catching the Avatar and, by extension, regaining that honor and regaining that place how important that is to Zuko and how dire that is to him uh, at this point. So before we go too deep into where this eventually leads with Aang and Zuko, because I think it's a really interesting point to get to, Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to dabble a little bit back with, I just purely for the fun childishness of it, really enjoyed all the interactions of Momo bringing back the wrong thing to Katara over and over. 
Yeah. Even to the point that she's wearing the crown and Sokka calls her Your Highness. I know. It's it's funny because, like, throughout the show, both before and after this episode, there was always sort of that weird, like, it's almost implied that Momo knows what they're saying and they can sort of communicate with him. And then this is obviously just no, no. Really. You get the, the Momo vision where it's just like, I have no idea what she's saying. Yeah. But I'm going to try uh, my also, best. Also, I, I do thoroughly enjoy the writing and the scene when Aang goes to the herbalist. Oh my god, the herbalist. <laughs> yeah, first, first we get that lovely scene where they're like, oh, that's just fire lord propaganda. He can't run faster than the wind and just boom. Yeah. Sound the alarm. <laughs> A little <laughs> bit of that fun classic character state to think that couldn't be true and it immediately comes true. Um, and just that whole moment of the herbalist putting together the this whole concoction and going, no, it's for my cat, and him just going, you're insane, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, yes. Just a very clear uh, yep. moment. Totally wasn't needed. It was totally good. But just, like, I loved it. Genuinely loved it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, the Yuyan archers were also really cool. I do wish, like I said, that we would have seen them again. Yeah, I after definitely. After this like, episode. But I feel we like do... the problem with that is they're so interesting and they're so amazing. Like, almost like in video game terms, they're so OP that if they were to be brought back, it would be, it would just be repeating itself. They wouldn't be new or different. It would just be them being way too good again. Yeah. I mean, if they came back, maybe during a giant fight scene and we got to see Ang beat them to kind of show how he's grown, that could be kind of cool. Yeah. But then I feel like you don't really get much out of them at that point. Sure. Maybe they do come back. Maybe I'm forgetting. But I do know we get the Dai Li uh, later on. Uh, without saying too much, so I know they're mm. they're sort of similar, but for the Earth Kingdom, uh, yes. and they're kind of cool. But uh, the archers, uh, I really like sort of the animation of the fight sequences that, or well, the chase, I guess, sequences you could say that involved them. So that oh, the really chase fun. is nuts. The way they swing down the trees is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I also really like again another fight visual uh, was when they were so the blue spirit has uh, broken in and freed Ang with the classic. TV trope of the, oh no, he's gonna kill me. Oh no, he just saved me. I'm so confused. Who is this mysterious masked hero? Um, yeah. They get away, and while they're fighting the Fire Nation troops, we have them basically bring this, like, rope ladder thing. Yeah. And one guy takes the ladder and starts running up the wall while the rest push him up using the ladder. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is like, I want to know if that's based in reality. Is that a thing that actually could do like it just seems physically like i don't think a material could be that flexible and that strong at the same time like it's really weird but it's such a cool visual it's a cool visual exactly well we'll suspend our disbelief there a little bit mm -hmm. um another question i wrote down right underneath the why is zuko saving ang why doesn't zuko use his firebending why does he use swords I think that I can explain away a little bit in the fact that he doesn't want to be caught as a firebender. That's what I wrote also. It's like, what firebender, once the whole Fire Nation is officially going after the Avatar now, what firebender could possibly go against Zhao and by extension the Fire Nation? Well, there's only theoretically one, theoretically, well, technically two, but who would actually infiltrate uh, a military base and smuggle the Avatar out so he could then catch the Avatar. Well, there's only one person. So True, I and I think 
even just going below, even just beyond that, I think it's just part of the disguise. Is like, listen, if they don't know I'm a firebender, I couldn't even be accused. Whereas, you're right, if it was a firebender, he would be like the only person to point fingers at. Like, even the idea of like, what if it's a rebel group or like a, uh, you know, like people who have left the Fire Nation and don't believe we're right and are fighting back, like a resistance. No, no, everyone would be like, no, 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 it's it's probably Zeus. But you're right. I didn't even think about that part. I was just like, don't let them get on that you're a fire bender and then they can't think you're a fire nation person because why would you not use firebending if you were a firebender that's it that's it and like also kind of cool to see that he has more skill than just firebending he's an aggressive swordsman yes he is and we never too we never got that from him uh before now so clearly he had some he had some swordsman training yeah uh, I also feel like we kind of glossed over was that whole moment of uh, Zhao talking to Aang when he's captured. I, I just wrote down, what a dick. Oh, he's terrible. <laughs> like, I know we're supposed to hate him, he's the villain, but like, oh, we'll keep you alive. Barely. Like, just, oh my god, get out of here, you freak. I know, it's like, this is a kid's show, right? <laughs> yeah, like, that's a little dark for a kid's show. Even yes, just the way the archers, like, capture Aang, like, pinning him to the wall, like, it's like, you know, they never injure him, but they get so close, and, like, breaking his little ice wall he builds, it's like, that entire scene was just so violent and dark, like, this episode really takes a tonal shift, and it's wonderful. It does, it does, and we also hear, like, with Zhao and his little speech, mm-hmm. you sort of hear the actual, like, total capitulation of the Fire Nation's plans, we're gonna use Sozin's comets. We're going to gain its power. We're going to break through Ba Sing Se. And ultimately, we're, we're going to win the down. war. Yeah. So, obviously, we know Ba Sing Se is a key. Ba Sing Se is the great city of the Earth Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Once the Earth Kingdom falls, it's pretty much game over. With the air nomads totally wiped out, the water tribes, by a certain point, are pretty weak. Pretty much it's you the, have the tribes in the south that are all scattered about, and small little tribes of, like, elderly and children. And then you've got the north, which we learn later still has a bit more of a city happening, but it's pretty much, like, it, pinned it, down and, like, easily taken care of. Yeah, yeah. We're getting, we're getting to the northern water tribe very soon. Very, very soon. Yeah, um, no, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. But the Earth Kingdom is definitely, first of all, it's the biggest of the four nations. Yeah. And it's definitely the biggest resistance. To mm-hmm. the Fire Nation at this point, and Bossing Say is exactly that. It's it's uh, it's I I love Bossing Say because even for an animated show, well, especially for an animated show, just the scale of Bossing Say compared to every other city or village that you see is 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 epic. Um, yeah, like even anyway. the first Earth Kingdom city we came to, uh, the city's name is eluding me, but with Omashu. Umi. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Your memory for these titles freaks me out. Impressive. <laughs> I got the names um, down. It's impressive, man. Uh, no, but even just that, like that city is massive, and I remember Bossing Say is much bigger. Yeah, yeah, Bossing Say is intense. We don't need to go too too uh, too too far. We will we yeah, will we'll get, get to Bossing Say soon. Uh, soon. No, I just want to focus on what I consider to be the last major plot point of this episode, or the last major set piece which is that moment when Zuko wakes up next to Aang, and Aang is just sitting there and being very civilized. Yeah, the whole, uh, do you think we could have been friends if it were 
another time if this war hadn't happened or if it's it's a really like down to earth question it's such a humble innocent question of like I don't think he was expecting him to turn around and, like, shake his hand there. I think he knew he was going to, like, run away or have to hide or, like, fight him. Yeah. Which is so... It's kind but... of tear-jerky. It's kind of like a, a little emotional, like... Like, Aang could have just left him there. Aang could have just... I mean, first of all, Aang could have left him to be caught and then turned around and goes, No, he saved me. I should save him. Because that level of honor. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He tried to save me. There must be a reason. Like, maybe there was more than just he wanted to capture me. Let me give him a chance. And then not only was like, okay, I can be safe now. Let him wake up. Let me give him one more chance. Let me try to get through. That's it. It really is a nice. That's it. Like, I think. Technically, Aang had one of his main antagonists right there. He was knocked out. If Aang were a, a less pacifist person, mm-hmm. you know, but he didn't. Aang, Aang, uh, Aang probably believes in Zuko, and he believes in him as a person. And yeah. also, at the same time, it's sort of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing, where... Yeah, he sees something there in the... He was fighting for what I, he was fighting. We were fighting on the same side for a moment, even but even if I didn't know who he was, we were fighting on the same side. There must be more to this. Like he's against the Fire Nation in a way. Still, that's even true. if it is just more of a personal gain, it is still a sign of like there's resistance. Yeah, that's a good point. Ang Ang and Sokka and Katara they don't know what we know about Zuko and his backstory. Mm-hmm. When they see Zuko, they just see Fire Nation. They don't. They probably don't realize that he's an exiled prince. He no, it's been true. banished. Like they just see a villain. All they see is the guy hunting them. Exactly. Exactly. Like at this point, like even the ending when he gets back to them and gives them the frog, and, you know, kind of just rolls over in defeat. Like you know, did you make any new friends on your trip? And he goes, "I don't think so." Yeah. Um, also, uh, something else I pointed out that I really had to make note of was there is a significant delay between Zuko. Realizing what he, what's happening, letting Aang speak, and then react. There's like a very obvious pause. There is a moment where he did consider the question and really listen to Aang's words. There is. There is. He, he definitely didn't immediately get up and start lashing out. He, mm-hmm. heard, he heard Aang out. Um, yeah. I don't know if that... That's probably a little bit of a, a drop in the bucket or a little bit of foreshadowing there. Oh, I would, I would um, say. I think, it's, I think it's fairly certain that it is. That it's like showing that he isn't just an animal of instinct, like fight or flight. He was ready to listen. He was ready to, like, there's a reason you're talking to me. Let me hear it out before I attack you. Oh, you're asking me a question. I'm just going to attack you. I'm not going to give you the answer. But I did listen to your question, and I did consider a response. Yeah, exactly. And it sort of ends there. Um, it's interesting. The a few of these past these past episodes, especially recently, have had a lot of Ang and Zuko parallelism. Mm-hmm. Their, their stories seem to intertwine a lot. And and obviously, I'm speaking as someone who has seen the show a few times. I know it's coming. It continues to intersect. It's, yeah, and I do like that. I kind of like the. Again, I feel like it does fall into a few other cliches of TVs and movie of like the parallels between the villain and the hero and how, you know, 
we're not so different, you and I. Classic yeah. lines. It's a trope, but if a trope is done well, it's still it's still good television. Yeah, I mean, the fam- I have a, a famous line is a cliche is a cliche because it works. Exactly. Exactly. And I do want to point out, before we end this episode's uh, little, little discussion, a little bit of Drew's design moments. I absolutely love the animation on Sokka's face when he realizes he's eating a frog. <laughs> it, it is so well drawn. It is so, like, amazingly well put together. It is such a funny visual. I love it. Kind of, a, again, leaving the episode a joke. You know, don't end on the dark, serious note. It's there. It's hovering. But just a little sure. punch of a joke. It works. It's fine. It works. It's fine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are for the first time, I think, going from what I consider to be a major plot-heavy episode into a less major plot-heavy episode. Uh, yeah, this is not a, a huge plot-heavy episode. There's some stuff here. It's not a great divide, in my opinion, but... No, but again, less... it's a lot of... It, it's, it, it, again, falls in the category of episodes that you probably could miss and you wouldn't really lose anything in this episode. Like, Agreed. I, I guess there's the usual, there's a lesson we can kind of discern from it. We kind of, like, you know, make your own destiny kind of thing. There um, is, Matt. I don't have a whole lot of notes for this episode. No, but there's I, a few I funny jokes. Stuff. I think this one was mostly filler with a few jokes and a little lesson. Uh, would you like to give us the read-through of the episode anyways? Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, so this is... Oops, I'm on the wrong screen. This is book one, uh, episode 14, The Fortune Teller. And so it's... Uh, Katara convinces Sokka and Ang to travel to a village after hearing of a fortune teller named Aunt Wu who resides there. Ang and Katara become excited when the fortune teller predicts their love lives. Sokka, however, doubts Aunt Wu's predictions and is proven correct when the volcano she predicted would not destroy the town becomes active. Yeah, no, my notes those are pretty simple. I do like the classic trope of like character like viewing a character for the first time as someone who is like the a love interest that like, you know, like wavy, like smoky color palette and like kind of moment. Yeah, exactly. I I'd, I'd say if there's one thing about this episode, like I think we always got a couple little uh inklings that Aang had a thing for Katara. Mm-hmm. This one, I think this episode, it doesn't so much drive home the plot of Aang needs to save the world, he needs to learn the four elements, blah, blah, blah. This is more, oh, Aang, Aang's going to have a thing for Katara. And, yeah. And I mean, we all know where that goes. I even yep. like at some point Katara's back there and like pestering her for like every little detail of her life and like you'll pass away quietly the night after having your, like, third grandchild. I almost yeah. want to, like, I almost want to write that down and make more note of it and, like, see where we end up later on in the next books. <laughs> Just to see if it, if, if they do the continuity of it. Because we, I mean, I don't think, I mean, she makes, I believe by the end of the Korra series, she's still alive. I think so. Like, I know she makes an appearance, and we do meet Aang's children, and I think he was some grandchildren. Uh, yes. Aang's children and children. I think in The Legend of Korra, of the main characters, Katara's still alive, Zuko's still alive, and Toph is still alive also. 
Yeah, Toph's the old lady and her, her, with yeah. her kids. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know, because I know one of the major characters that we meet throughout the series is Aang's son, and we then meet Aang's son's wife and, I think, four and children. And kids, yeah. Yeah, and obviously, by Korra, Aang is, Aang is dead. Um, so otherwise, there wouldn't be Korra. Oh, um, that's actually really dark, I just realized. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not the Aang dying part. Um, there's three children, like, so Aang's three grandchildren... Thus, Tara's through grandchildren, and the um, the mother is pregnant. Oh, so Katara passes away after her third grandchild was born. This is the fourth one, means she has to die before the child is born. Assuming that the prophecy is true, I'm just saying. Like, if continuity does go with that, like, I'd be kind of curious to look into that. Cause it's kind of like, oh, so we're implying that at the end of the series, when she has the fourth kid, Katara's passed on. Oh, Aww. I think uh, anyways, the fact that no. we're going into Korra means there's really not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, to... really. I mean, even like the most important moment of the episode, which is the uh, bone explosion, as I put it. Bone explosion. Hey. Yeah, I mean, it's a good plot device of like this is how important your future is, only to have Ango. Yeah, I knew that part already. <laughs> He's it's almost kind of like fun. tired of it. But it is kind of a nice thing too, because it kind of does show us that what Aunt Aunt Wu is doing isn't all just, you know, soothsaying. She's actually predicting things. There actually is some element of her magic of, like, I mean, she's right about Katara ending up with Aang. We're mm-hmm. right about Aang's battle. Um, I mean, we do have little things where, like, I know Sokka tries to explain away, like, if you're wearing the red shoes all the time, then obviously they're going to work one day because you'll meet the love of your life and you'll be wearing them. And he's like, oh boy. And he's like, no, not what I meant. Like self-fulfilling prophecy type thing. Well, that's the thing about Atwu's predictions, at least from the ones that we hear in this episode, none of them are that deep. I mean, she says to Katara, you're going to marry a powerful bender. And she probably knows by then she's a waterbender. So obviously, you know, oh, you, Want to marry a bender? Here you go. Powerful bender. And then obviously get Sokka at the end saying, oh, I forgot how powerful a bender he is. <laughs> yeah. And was this such an on-the-nose line and then literally just repeating it? Yeah. It says, hey, hey, there you go. Because at the beginning of the episode, Katara's like, oh, he's just a sweet little guy, just like Momo. I actually yeah, wrote that like down. A, I wrote the one down, too. Like, what a classic, like, oh, he's just, like, a brother to me. I could never love him like that, like any other TV cliche. Yeah. Uh, we even get the cliche movie advice of, oh, just be aloof. Girl's like a guy who's, like, mean to them and, like, clearly doesn't work. And, like, why are you taking Sokka's advice? When was the last time you saw him with anyone? Although, yeah, I think exactly. of the three of them, he's the one who's got the most lucky out of all of them. Uh, by the end of the series, yes, I would say so. Oh, even just now with Kyoshi. Well, that too, yeah. He got he got a kiss out of that. He was the only he's the only member of the team so far to like fall in like you know have a romantic in- inclination with anyone that actually ended with anything positive. True. Um, True. I mean, if this episode did anything, it did one important thing. All right. Platypus bear. Platypus bear. <laughs> it introduces us to our first platypus bear, followed by one of the more comedic moments in the series of just. Them giving every piece of advice you've ever heard for how to avoid a dangerous animal. The punch it in the bill. Uh, run zigzag. Play dead. 
climb a tree, run down a hill. Like, literally, I could name every single one of those as, like, I've heard this, whether it be sharks, bears, crocodiles, or, like, other animals. Oh, my God. I thought it's it was true. very fun. Nah, it's nice. It's, that's it. This is, like, sort of a, a quote-unquote cute episode. It's still still fine, and we learn a little bit about just sort of the power of... You can set your own fate. Obviously, if, if Aunt Wu says something to you, like, you're going to meet your true love wearing red shoes, and then you wear red shoes every day, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, and I think it kind of goes along lines of it gives people hope. It just, it's... Like, who knows if the crop will be good this year, but if you think the crop is going to be good this year because a fortune teller told you, you're going to be kind of like, you're going to look for the positives. Like, you might, like, the crop might be, eh, but you're going to be like, well, the more, the crop that did grow was really, really good. Yeah, the crop wasn't 100%, but the crops we did get, that 40% we got, they were the best corn we ever had. Objectively. And how much of it is confirmation bias also, right? She's like, oh, oh, it's going to be a good year for twins, so... Any good thing that's going to happen to those twins in the coming year, well, Aunt Wu said it's going to be a good year, so... And yeah, then any bad happens, thing is... Something you know, like, good will come along. Exactly. And I also kind of like the, the first guy they meet with the platypus bear, even his perspective of, like, uh, her prophecy did come true after all, because you intervened and brought it to truth. Well, that's it. Of course she's going to sit there and be like, oh yeah, your walk's going to be fine. What are the chances that he actually gets mauled by a uh, a platypus bear on his walk probably low mm-hmm. I don't know. and it also Mi- has to do with um, to bring up Stephen Hawking weirdly enough uh, Stephen Hawking famously had a quote I can't remember the exact wording but the idea was essentially if you predict something like the end of the world either you're wrong and everybody forgets about it or you were right and everyone goes wow how did he do that true like, no one remembers the people who are wrong or whoever made wrong predictions. Uh, it's like whenever a new video game is coming out and people predict, oh, it'll do this, 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 and this, and, like, one of those 90 things is right, everyone's like, oh, wow, how did he know? He must have inside knowledge. It's like, no, he just guessed the 30 most likely things and got one or two right. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think... Uh... I think the main importance of this episode was just sort of get the relationships, relationshipy stuff in there. Like, oh yeah, Aang, yeah. Aang has a thing for Katara. I think he always has. Like, even in the first episode, he sort of had this moment where, oh yeah, he's out of the iceberg. He sees her. He's like, oh cool. And then, oh, and they're in Kyoshi, and like they're being jealous of each other. There's clearly that one. Yeah, and she's super into Jet. You can see he's kind of upset about it. it exactly. Yeah, it's no surprise. This just puts the cards on the table and makes it very obvious. Again, you're right. It's no great. On a scale of great divide to, you know, like, plot relevancy, I'd give this a three. It's closer to great divide than it is to Sozin's Comet, the finale. Yeah, that's our scale. Like, ten being Sozin Comet, zero being the great divide, one (laughs) being regular filler. I can give this a two or a three. Yeah, there there is some redeeming value to be taken from it, but yeah, it, it is going to still be more of a filler episode. I do find in general, uh, for me at least, book one is, is the weakest of the three seasons of Avatar. It's still a good season. There's still lots of great moments, but I definitely enjoyed books two and three more. And from a, a production side, it makes sense. I mean, 
you have this group that has to appease the network, has to appease their bosses, has to appease the regular Saturday morning cartoon audience with a show that anyone can pick up and watch. And it's only when season when the first season ends and they go, okay, here are the numbers. Wow, you have fans who do want more. Keep going, and maybe their leash is loosened a little bit. Uh, this is why a lot of shows end up on Netflix right now. If I can go a little, and I feel like yeah. this is a background you and I both have a pretty good knowledge of. Yeah. There's a lot of shows wind up on Netflix now because Netflix doesn't look for the previous numbers, doesn't look for all that stuff. They're okay looking at a show saying, hey, you've got a really big following on Twitter or on Reddit, or there seems to be a big cult following of people like doing t-shirts or cosplay of your show. You probably have enough fans who would watch this show that may not have Netflix now and will get it or will continue to subscribe because of your show. Here's some money. Go do what you do. My hands are in the air. It's up to you now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's different. And, and you touched on something interesting. It is a kid's show, so maybe maybe they just can't do serious, heavy, plot-driven episode after serious, heavy, plot-driven episode. They do probably need a little bit of... a little bit of fluff in there. Yeah, and I, I, every so I think that's, that's a very fair view, and that's why I think the fluff does become less with each season, because they get to a point where they realize the audience they're catering to might be a tad bit more mature, or they realize the audience they're getting to might be... Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when the viewers like actually got the... Like, like, when the actual board got the numbers for these episodes and saw, like, oh, the serious, gritty ones, like the Blue Spirit, get a lot more viewers than The Great Divide. Clearly the fans of the show like the story, less the fluff. We need so many episodes, you know, like, you know, give us this many. Of course, the occasional message from on high of, oh, we actually need three more episodes, and you're kind of forced to build filler at that point. But it means you're starting with a lot less filler at the top of the uh, production. True. True. Exactly. And, and that's not to say there's no filler episodes in the later seasons. There's, there's definitely episodes in later seasons that I would consider to be not as important, but I feel there's more of them. In, in yeah, the I feel one. like by the time we get to Korra, like I'm trying to go through my viewing of Korra, and I'm thinking like almost every episode ended with like a not a cliffhanger, but like a hint to what the next episode would be, and I was always like, "Ooh, I'm so excited!" It like rarely was I like, "Okay, I can take a break from the show. I'm done." There's no like drawing pulling. I think you're right. I I've only seen Korra once on on my original watch through, and it's been a while, so I'd mm-hmm. have to I'd have to watch it again and. And sort of get that impression. Yeah, I feel like Cora had the advantage of watching at a much better age. Again, it was still a while ago and was only once. That yeah. more of it, like, stuck and more of it is, like, it's more connected to me emotionally than the original series is because of that. Mm-hmm. But re-watching the original series, I remember how much I enjoyed it and some of the things I, like, overthought, like, how I thought, like, the Blue Spirit was this huge recurring thing over, like, the entire season. And it wasn't until season like you know book three with a book uh, of fire we actually finally find out who he is and oh my god this whole time like i like was like i honestly thought when ang went to reach for the mask he was gonna just stop pick him up and take him and leave him somewhere safe and be like i'm gonna trust your anonymity like oh wow Uh, i guess shows me clearly not um yeah i mean that's a bit of a short episode because both episodes were as good as they were were both fairly light uh, but I'm okay yeah. with that as we kind of reach into some of these and we'll start finding more ways to fill the time. And again, short episodes are good. Easier listens, your shorter drives. 
it is what it is. That's it. We'll find some ways to fill up uh, an extra five, ten minutes, like if we have to do some discussion about just like what we did. Uh, Blue Spirit, same thing. Like Blue Spirit was definitely more plot heavy than yeah. uh, Fortune Teller was, but it was very linear. The action in the Blue Spirit, uh, it, you know, you could you could go into more detail on you know the symbolism of Zuko's mask and it's his alter ego, but does it really actually allow him to show his true face and you know, there's many a YouTube essay oh, I mean, on that. Even just the fact that it's blue for someone in the Fire Nation to wear a blue mask just seems like such a state. Yeah. Like if it were yellow or red or even like an orange, even green, I would go as far as saying it would be like, meh. But blue seems like such an intentional choice of like Firebender would not wear a blue mask. Mm-hmm. Like it really is showing his true colors. So sorry. A, <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry. But uh, oh, you know, <laughs> the the mask is a common trope, just used in exactly in that way. Um, but still, I I found the plot of the Blue Spirit. Like I said, it really was just because they took Sokka and Katara out and they combined Ang and Zuko's stories a little bit mm-hmm. more. It's you just have that one story, and that's what happens. And yeah, it it's good. Like you don't want to kick him out of the show altogether, but it's nice to give Aang the spotlight on his own. For sure. For well, sure. I guess on that note, two very good episodes, one much better than the other, but eh. You know, watch Full Spirit if you really have to skip an episode, the fortune teller could be missed. Yeah. But, like, you know, it does teach the lesson that, you know, you can make your own destiny. The way they made their own cloud. Which, Ooh. by the way, the design of that cloud was so creepy, because it also, the it way was. it moved across the sky, it, like, stretched it out into weird proportions a little bit. Like, it didn't all move as, like, one consistent piece of art. It was, like, in Photoshop, they used, like, a stretch filter on it as it was moving. So it was really creepy. Like, I thought it was, it was. stunningly well put together. Sorry, I think a little this, more, a little more Drew this, Design Corner. I think this predates Harry Potter, but I definitely got some Dark Mark vibes from it. Um, oh yeah, true. That's uh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does predate, I believe, the particular Harry Potter movie where you see the the dark cloud, but similar, similar vibes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, our fans, our listeners, our um, oh, we have a name for our fans again. I forget. Uh, oh, earbenders, earbenders, earbenders. <laughs> That's the one. There we go. God, I'm so bad. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for listening. Again, reach out to yes. us on social media if you want to share things. We'd love to share things from Please our fans do. with the community. Uh, in supplemental episodes or post-recording bits, we'll start adding to these as they release. Might be a good um, idea to do that. Where are they going to find you? They're going to find me on Twitter at at Ryan W. And I will also be on the Twitter at Boxless Thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a wonderful night, evening, or day, or whatever it is you are doing, and wherever it is you are. May all your dreams come true. Aw. Wear red shoes. <laughs>